Medicare is complicated. Medicare can be confusing. Medicare is no fun to study. Will you know what decisions to make when Medicare time arrives for you? My name is Doug Jones, and I wrote a book to help you figure it all out. Medicare for the Lazy Man. It's on sale at Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Also, you can download and listen to my podcast, Medicare for the Lazy Man, wherever fine podcasts are given away free of charge. Medicare for the Lazy Man, simplest and easiest guide ever. Like 40 miles of bad road, it's the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. The only podcast with a lazy, lazy audience. He attended three Beatles concerts full of screaming girls and lived to tell the tale. It's Medicare expert Doug Jones. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast general offices. We are so pleased to have you with us today. I almost said the pedicure for the lazy man, reminding me that I have to cut my toenails, but that's a conversation for another time. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, We are here to help you feel really, really confident about your impending encounter with Medicare. And one of the ways that we do that is to uh, encourage you to buy my book, Medicare for the Lazy Man. The 2023 edition is out for sale right now. It's on Amazon.com. If you go to Amazon and put in the search window, Medicare for the Lazy Man 2023, don't forget those numbers, then you're going to find several editions of my book. And if you go to Barnes and Noble and put in Medicare for the Lazy Man 2023, you're going to find one excellent looking paperback edition of my book. So the choice is yours. Most people are going to wind up at Amazon. Then you're going to have decisions to make, but that's what life is all about, isn't it? So thank you again for joining us. I uh, speak not only for myself, but I speak on behalf of my podcast engineer, uh, spiritual guru, and uh, all-around good guy, Randall Carson. Hello, Randall. What's going on with you today? Oh, my God. Am I in trouble, Doug? Well, no, not not anything that I have observed you doing. But the the only time in my life I was ever called Randall was by my dear mother. Did she use a middle boy, initial? Boy, yeah. Well, yeah, Randall B. Oh, there you go. And yeah, just like yours. And uh, she, if she ever hollered out the back door at the, you know, the house, uh-huh. Randall B, get in here. Oh boy. Well, uh, I never had that used, but what they used on me was the origin of my first name was General Douglas MacArthur, who uh, single-handedly won the war in the Pacific and uh, won also won the Korean War single-handedly, his tactics anyway. And so I was named for him, Douglas MacArthur. And for some reason, that got permutated with my middle name, Brian, with a Y, which came out of the Oklahoma City telephone directory. So my so, so, so on one end you've got a very historic name. Yes. And the other and the other name came off what page 43? We got an American hero and and potentially a, a fugitive from justice <laughs> all, all wrapped up in the same uh name. And, and in fact you can 
you can dissect my name another way too. You got your Scottish first name. Yeah. You got if you just don't if you ignore the spelling, you got your uh, Irish middle name, yeah. and then you got your Welch last name. But to yeah. the best to the best of my knowledge, with all the research that, that's been done on my family tree, there isn't one drop of blood that isn't Norman French that flows through my veins. It's all wow, that's cool. From William the Conqueror on down. So. But if you're looking at the names, you know, somebody in your family got around. I look like I'm multinational when you look at the names. <laughs> but anyway, oh, my that's... grandmother, where this was going is my grandmother used to say, Douglas Bryan MacArthur Jones. Now, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, and uh, so I heard that all too frequently. But it was generally not because I was in trouble. I was, generally speaking, a very good boy. And so uh, I heard it uh, more as a as a term of endearment than a, a warning that I should straighten up and fly right. Well, unfortunately, in my case, Doug, when I heard the full name coming out through the back door of my home out on the, out on the ranch, uh-huh. hmm, not good. Oh, boy. Well, we had a substitute for that. We lived on a lot of land, too. Uh, not as much as yours, but we had always had a minimum of four acres. Um, but uh, somewhere, my parents got a bell. And that was the way to call the kids from whatever tree we were up in or, you know, yeah, the, uh, yeah. uh, far, far away. Uh, when we heard that bell ringing, then uh, we knew it was time to come a running. So was it a bell with a rope or was it a yep. bell with a, you know, like a triangle yeah. thing? No, about a 10 foot pole with a bell okay. on the top of it and it had a rope. And so uh, even a little kid could, you know, reach up and grab the rope. But we would, um, uh, we, I remembered it fondly as a kid growing up and, and all of our, my siblings would uh, pay attention to it when we heard the bell. Now, you know, flash forward several decades when I've got a teenage daughter and she's got a lot of friends in the neighborhood, we've got six acres and everybody's got a bunch of land. And the road is about a mile long that we live on. It's a dead end road. And so um, I put that bell up outside of our house and I said, here's how you know when it's time to come home. I'm not paying any attention to that thing. Who do you think you are <laughs> ringing a bell? to? I'm not, you could ring that all day long. I'm not going to pay any attention to it. So that, that was not, the, uh, that was the childhood cell phone of the days. Yes. Well, it wasn't for her. She was not going to, uh, she was going to ignore <laughs> it. She felt it was insulting to be summoned. Now she didn't have a cell phone. I mean, this was way before cell phone. So I don't know how she expected to find out that we wanted her to come home, but. So, so what was this uh, individual's name? Oh, that would be our daughter, Melissa. Melissa. Who okay. Just turned 50 this year and who is is uh, a model, uh, soon to be a model for a line of power tools that will be exclusively marketed on Amazon. However, she still won't come home to a bell. Well, I can I can uh, beg, plead, I can snap my fingers, <laughs> I can do all kinds of things. She won't do anything that she doesn't want to do. Uh, gee, I don't know. I think I've got a daughter that sounds very similar, so... Anyway, I've never tried ringing her home with a bell, but uh, when she was in college at U of A, uh-huh. uh, there was absolutely no no purpose for me calling her cell phone because she would never pick it up. Well, I there had you go. To, I had to text her. 
Sure. And that's, you know, kids have their rules and different generations have different rules, I'm sure. Um, But I wasn't kidding when I said that she is about to become a model. There is an advertising agency who has hired her property for demonstrations of these tools, these power tools. And next week, next week, they're going to spend three days filming on her property, which is in, you know, coastal California, her property is like a, an acre or maybe a half an acre, which is still large for California. It's got a fantastic view of interstate five. It's on a bluff and it looks down over, over this Valley, but um, she is going to be, have three days of uh, demonstrating power tools and uh, they want to appeal to the ladies market. <clears throat> so, so, so is she, okay, this is, is she going to be the model because she is a model or is she, well, I'm not, how do I want to say, or is she into power tools? I mean, I'm trying to figure out she's which into way power it tools. is. She's into power tools. What happened was I was always doing tool type things at home. Yeah, she grew yeah. up with that. And uh, her husband is not so much. He's more cerebral, less comfortable with the tool uh, tools and the projects. So a friend of hers said, hey, I'm testing tools and giving written reports on how I like them for this uh, up and coming or brand new tool company. Would you like to do that too? So my daughter wrote a bunch of reports, almost like for a magazine, you know, uh, here's how I like this tool. Here's what I didn't like about it. The trigger was, you know, too far away or whatever. And so they took that and they said, you know, this woman might be an excellent demonstrator of the tools when we go to the next step, which is filming them in action. So she got into it because she liked tools. Now, she's very attractive. She will make an excellent presentation uh, as a pretty, you know, model holding the tools and demonstrating the tools. But she's not. Uh, going to look like a mannequin. She's going to be actually uh, using cool. the tools. Yeah. So. Well, you're going to have to let me know when those are available to be seen because I. I sure I, will. I'm I'm immediately thinking about Tim the Tool Time Taylor here and his uh, sidekick. Well, his sidekick was younger. Our daughter is more mature than that, but not a lot. I mean, she still looks very youthful as far as I'm concerned. And of course, her son, who just graduated from college a year and a half or two years ago, um, is a model part-time. He's a bartender, a disc jockey. He's got like six jobs, but one of them is a model for some big bank. I can't remember the name of the bank and Disney, uh, the Disney Corporation. So uh, I've got a picture of him sitting on the grass with two young ladies outside the gates of Disney. And uh, it's a bank ad and a Disney ad. So cool. uh, he, he makes a ton of money for like a few hours work per day. Just and like us, right, Doug? Absolutely. Just raking it in, <laughs> raking it in. We need a bigger wheelbarrow to get it. Uh, in the bank. I, I need that. We probably need to get recording because Brinks is Brinks is coming by with their cash truck later today. Yeah, I want to be ready for that. So it's 10 minutes of goofing around we've just gone through. So I think hey, we should Well, there that's that's our normal that's our normal plan. So I'm going to go ahead and you know as the nominal producer here, let's get moving forward and we have okay. a great we have an absolutely great interesting episode checklist today and I can't wait to hear about it. So I'm just going to turn it over to you, Doug. All righty, very good, Randy. Thanks for the uh, help in getting this Getting this uh, episode off the ground, uh, one of the things Randy off the mic expressed interest in was an article that I wrote down entitled EPA Investigating Colorado for Discriminatory Air Pollution. 
Now, how in the heck can air pollution be discriminatory, you might ask? And I I might ask the same thing because I'm a rational human being. I don't think the EPA is rational, but uh, this is a real short little blurb. Uh, They're investigating this air pollution. Federal investigators say they will scrutinize the state of Colorado's oversight of their biggest polluters, including the Suncor oil refinery in North Denver. That facility is roughly 90 years old. It says they're investigating whether um, the Colorado's regulation of pollution of air pollution from industrial facilities discriminates against Hispanic residents and other racial minorities. Now, this is their investigation is whether the state of Colorado's enforcement of regulatory action is discriminatory towards Hispanic residents and other racial minorities. Randy's having a hard time not laughing. He's kind of almost drooling on himself. Um, so this is a level of scrutiny long sought by Lucy Molina, whose daughter goes to school near Colorado's only petroleum refinery. Three years ago, Molina had just stepped outdoors when she noticed a coating of ash on her Nissan Altima. You'd think she'd have an American car. But no, she doesn't. Nissan Altima. And uh, that wiped off on her fingers. She uh, received a message that her daughter's school was being locked down, and then she went into full-blown panic. She later learned that the refinery had malfunctioned, spewing a clay-like material into the air. She had heard of lockdowns for shootings, but never for pollution. So I'm assuming that relieved her panic. So since then, she has pushed for community air monitoring and for stronger protection, but says it all feels like it's too late. She's lived there for 30 years, and her kids are already young adults. If we would have known years ago, she said, we would have moved. So that's a tragic story of uh, some malfunction at a uh, refinery, which caused a thin layer of clay-like ash to land on her car and have to be wiped off the car and panic at the school to be uh, shut down. The school would be locked down. Uh, Randy, you seem to have a thought. Uh, well, I was, it just, it was very reminiscent of a, a good friend of mine's family grew up in Pittsburgh. Yes. Yes. So when, when the refineries were going in Pittsburgh and you had some fine ash on your car, that meant your family had a job. And food to put on the table and possibly and food to put on the table, possibly a college education and a, uh, a father who had a steady work and was a good, um, a good uh, inspiration to the young children as a work ethic. And yeah, there are a lot of good things that come from industries that might accidentally put ash on your car. Yeah. And the other thing that popped into my head about this story was, you know, that, that deep, nagging cough that that woman had i wonder if that had anything to do about smoking paul mall reds for 30 years <laughs> well i smoke paul mall and i my cough is just fine thank you very much so i don't i don't recall her brand well, of cigarettes I'm, being mentioned I'm, but i'm uh, i'm uh, extemporaneously you know you know throwing my mind in different places uh, it's called poetic license yes and you're exercising it well what i would venture to guess <laughs> is that her empty nest is causing her to feel unwanted unloved and useless and so she's uh, got a new hobby which is to pester the rest of us with uh overwhelming regulation of That's right uh, 
of the uh, industry that makes Colorado what it is today, which is probably uh, fairly in, uh, fairly inexpensive gasoline, I would think, since it's. I thought uh, you. You know what I thought you were going to tell me? What's that? That all this legalized pot in Colorado, you know, is causing you know haze over Denver. No, that would be a good thing. They would celebrate that, I'm sure. <laughs> so that leads to another one. Fasten your seatbelt for this one, Randy. It's uh, probably eight pages long, so we're not going to delve too deeply into this. But it begs, the headline begs for a little bit of examination anyway, before we uh, uh, burst out laughing, I think. Uh, one needs to feel safe. This is the headline on this article. One needs to feel safe racism can put sleep and its health benefits out of reach. And the premise of this article, and it's very, very lengthy, is that minorities in America are being victimized because they live in places that are too noisy to allow them to get good quality REM sleep. And uh, they start out by saying, well, lots of people struggle to get enough sleep, and the responsibility for fixing the problem tends to fall on the individual. Experts offer advice like reducing screen time, exercising more, or just going to bed earlier in the evening. But many restless nights cannot be solved with blackout curtains, earplugs, or other typical suggestions on average. Black adults in the U.S. get poorer sleep than white adults, often for reasons outside of their control. A growing number of experts. Now, a growing number could be that there was one expert years ago, and now there are two moron, I mean, experts. Uh, so anyway, a growing number of experts argue that in order to address such racial disparities, Health professionals need to start discussing sleep within the complex tapestry of a person's life and surroundings. A large proportion of the disparities in sleep are really due to social and environmental factors, such as noise pollution. This is somebody named Mercedes. That's her first name. She's the vice chair of preventive medicine at Northwestern University, Feinberg School of Medicine, and an expert on racial disparities in cardiovascular disease. Holy crap. I have been to the Feinberg School of Medicine because of cardiovascular problems, mostly vascular um, circulatory problems, and a vascular surgeon fixed me right up. This person, if I saw her and heard her uh, take on uh, human uh, conditions and the cause of medical problems for some minorities, I think I would have run screaming out of there. The implications of these sleep disparities are far-reaching. The medical world has known for decades that habitually poor sleep increases the risk for heart disease. If more people regularly got the recommended seven to nine hours of restful sleep, experts assert, the incidence of heart disease, the most frequent cause of death in the U.S., could fall substantially. Earlier this year, the American Heart Association went so far as to add getting a good night's sleep to its central recommendations for improving cardiovascular health. Now, the problem is that black people have higher levels of heart attacks than white people. And uh, the, the result of this article or the conclusions drawn in this article, and boy, I wasted a whole lot of yellow highlighter on this. The conclusions drawn are that white people force black people to live in noisy, unsleep coordinated uh, neighborhoods and it's our fault. 
when I say our fault, I'm talking about the white people that are uh, participating in this podcast right now, mostly Randy and me. The fundamental cause of sleep inequalities or inequities is structural racism. So that's the conclusion of this article. Another substantial challenge is disentangling sleep from all of the other factors, such as diet, exercise, or weight that can contribute to cardiovascular disease. It's all the sleep problems, and the problems are caused by our racist society. So I think enough of that. That's uh, six or eight pages that we don't really need to spend a lot of time. Oh, Randy, uh, you have a thought? I Well, I first of all, I uh, I don't believe a word of that. But anyway, long story short is my blessed father lived to the age of, uh, well, early 90s, mid 90s. He never slept more than four hours in his life, and he worked 20, literally 18 hours a day. So I don't think it's got a thing to do with it. My father was the same way. My father was on a six o'clock train headed into Chicago every day. And I'm thinking that he got into that habit when he was young because he chased Nazis all over Germany and all over Europe. And, and they later, get up early. They get up early. They do. They're early risers. And then later he had to go deal with the Chinese and the Koreans. So, uh, oh, wow. That is a really quick uh, episode we just uh, recorded. Anyway. His attitude was that anybody that was uh, still in bed after six o'clock was uh, basically a lazy bum. And that included all five of his kids. I'll tell you, when we came home from school, it was like a <laughs> hospital ward. It was uh, Sleep City at the Jones house during Christmas vacations and during like Easter vacations. We were trying to catch up on all the sleep we weren't getting at school. He just had a bunch of children that needed more sleep than he needed, I guess. But on the other hand, he dropped dead of a heart attack at age 67. So I'm wondering if it's really, uh, you know, if the sleep is connected to the heart health or not. I just don't know that answer, but I know I'm not discriminating against black people who have heart attacks uh, by causing them sleepless nights. No, I, I think it's, I, well, I do think it's genetics. There's no doubt about that. My, Absolutely. My, my, my family is very long-lived. I mean, they uh -huh. always have been my my grandfather's uh, generation, many, well, all, I shouldn't say many, all lived into their late 90s, early 100s. My dad lived into his 90s. Uh, so, I mean, it is very, very genetically driven, but bottom line is it's genetics. It's not where you live. It's not that somebody next door is pounding on your door too too loud. It's not, it's, it's too much traffic out in the street. It's none of that. Okay. So, Bottom line is let's not let's not make an issue out of it that has anything to do with race. Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you, there's a, a political party that lives and dies by race, and uh, I don't subscribe to anything that they say. And this is just another stretch, as far as I'm concerned. I am the uh, longest lived of all of my male ancestors. They all dropped dead in their fifties and sixties. And I'm in my seventies and uh, no sign so far of coming to a halt. So I have other interesting articles here, but I think we've pretty much uh, run out of time. Don't you think? We definitely need to close her down for today, but I do have one quick question for you. We, you know, we haven't played stump the insurance guy. Mm, ouch. Ouch. For a long, long time. Oh, prepare to be stumped. Okay. I'll, so this I'll stand for my stumping. 
give give it your best shot, Doug, because I think you may have a chance of getting this one. I mean, oh, you boy. get more than you get more than I ever believed because I come up with this most obscure question, uh, and you you really, generally speaking, have some notion of what it is, and then a lot of times you're you're right on target. So anyway, today, January the fifth in nineteen thirty three, what happened? You would think that I would remember what happened. <laughs> Uh, who's that girl that was on who's that girl that was on taxi that remembers the weather and every element oh of yeah every yeah i can't i can't i can't remember her name Ma- but something maria uh, did it she's from chicago too yeah she she has she has one of she's a very rare individual yes she certainly has a, is. a recollection or like she can recall every moment of her yep. life absolutely so i'm not going to prepare port that I could do that. And when I think of 1933, I'm thinking the depths of the depression. So I'm guessing that this has to do with some construction project that defied the, uh, uh, the economic activity that was so depressed in the early 1930s. I'm guessing that this was a, a bridge or a building that uh, we're still very proud of today or a dam could be a dam. You you are so darn good, Doug. I oh. I can't I can't believe it. Uh, so I'm going to give you one hint, and then this will probably give you exactly what you need to finish up the answer. Uh, it was designed by an engineering student named James Wilkins. Oh, that didn't help. That didn't okay. help. They what moved three. They moved three point two five million cubic feet of dirt to make it. I'm thinking that's the uh, Hoover Dam. Or which is now nah, the Boulder Dam. You're close. Golden Gate Bridge was started oh, construction. Okay, yeah, that is quite a project that those guys did back in the olden days. Uh, it was, uh, and to put those those cement pads on the bottom of the uh, San Francisco Harbor, San Francisco yeah. Bay, in order for the bridge to rest on them. Boy, there's a whole lot of engineering that went into that that they weren't really experienced in. Yeah, it, it's. There's a whole bunch of history around that that is just amazing. But today, in 1933, they started construction. Uh, so I thought that was worthwhile bringing up. But Absolutely. after that, How, when needed... did when did the bridge open before you shut me oh, up? Oh, let me see here. Let me see. I'll find out here. Well, okay, it's going to take you too much time, but it was a length or not a lengthy uh, uh, construction period. I believe they threw every resource into that project and got it done in what we would consider to be record time. So here's the day it opened. So I I just mentioned that was started construction today in uh-huh. 1933. Yep, it finished. It finished construction on May 27th, 1937. Okay, so that was what, uh, four years. Little over four years. Yeah, it was, but it was an amazing engineering task because th- at the time, no one had ever attempted such a thing. Well, I bet they didn't have the wonderful resources that we have now, which would be a phalanx of lawyers looking for somebody to sue and uh, an EPA uh, that will look for uh, reasons like snail darters and uh, minuscule <laughs> wildlife would uh, prevent us from having such a momentous accomplishment today. Yeah, that, I tell you, we those snail darters kill a lot of stuff. 
Oh, they sure do. They sure we'd have many more bridges and buildings than we do if it weren't for those damn snail darters and dams. We'd have a lot more dams. That's right. So anyway, we need to sign her off for today, Doug. We have just spent a lot of time here. I thoroughly enjoyed every bit of it. But having said that, Doug loves email. So send him some at dbj at mlmmailbag.com. Visit our website, medicareforthelazyman.com. Buy your books, buy your audios, buy your Kindles. But don't forget to try to find a place to... uh, Give us a thumbs up with five-star ratings. We're, we're still in the midst of the rating wars and trying to win those. But in the meantime, you have just spent 32 and a half minutes with Doug Jones, the anti-insurance insurance guy originally from Oklahoma, now residing in the high altitudes behind Cave Creek, Arizona, making sure that the people that sell Scam Vantage don't get anywhere close. Bye-bye, everyone.